uh, we now have um, Eileen Darley uh, on the phone talking about uh, life, the uh, living uh, incomes for everyone, the new group that's been set up. Um, welcome, Eileen. Hello there. Thanks for having me. That's all right. It's good to chat. The, the group Life has three demands, uh, I understand. What are they? Okay, so we have three key demands um, and then a set of subsidiary demands, but I'll, I'll let you know what the three key ones are. The first one is fundamentally keep the rate at the current levels, which include the coronavirus supplement, which is a rate of $550 a week, which people have been receiving since April this year. Right, um, so that's, that's the unemployment no rate. To the job seeker allowance as it is, and we want no cuts to the job keeper payment, uh, which already that demand is maybe outdated since we've heard news today that they are starting to claw that back with uh, eliminating it for childcare workers. Yeah, um, that's extraordinary given that the, the Prime Minister promised us five days ago it would stay there until September. And now one of his ministers right. saying, oh, well, sorry, it's going in June. Bad luck. That's right. Um, so, I mean, we've, we've been expecting that they will start to, um, the government, that is, will start to claw things back. And we also expected that it would happen sort of sector by sector. So it's not unexpected, but um, they're still maintaining that the bulk of job seeker. Uh, job keeper rather um, will be uh, kept until September, but um, you know pigs might fly too. So that's our first demand. Uh, but also a subsidiary to that is that the job keeper payment at the moment is going directly to employers, and that's caused all sorts of different uh, problems, including the fact that the system's getting watered like crazy by various employers. And Frydenberg announced just the other day that employers that, <clears throat> that falsely claim JobKeeper can legally claw that back from the workers that they've, they've given it to. And we see that as a, the sort of beginnings of robo-debt, Mark II, because people will have uh, added debts on top of all the other personal debts that they've accrued from having no work for the last few months they'll likely, a degree of them, will have to repay their JobKeeper allowance as well. And some employers, haven't they, have taken their relief from uh, tax avoiders by setting up false companies which are being uh, saddled with debts to make it look as if they are eligible for JobKeeper, yeah. even when the uh, parent company is actually in reasonably good financial state. Yeah, yeah. So the whole... Uh, premise was that you had to have a third of your profits interfered with but of course just like corporate tax warts uh, if you've got a good accountant they can do what they like with, with that, the, those figures mm. um, Shall I go on to our second demand? Um, yeah, why not? So our second demand is that no one in Australia is left behind so as well as people that are unemployed, that are on JobSeeker, and by and large, 
low-income workers that are on JobKeeper payments. We also have a whole strata of people that are on various allowance payments and pensions, including the age pension, the disability support pension, youth allowance, carer's pension, um, what have I missed out, ab study, of uh, uh, study, and so forth. And what we're demanding, instead of these sort of divide and rule tactics where they will, you know, give a, a certain amount to one group and not to another and so forth, we're saying the simple answer to that is that everybody gets raised to the current rate of $1,100 per fortnight as a baseline because there are people within those groups, that people with disability and age, people that have certain needs that go beyond um, other people's needs, and we see that as being able to be fixed through various allowances and subsidies for medications and so forth. Mm. Um, we also, in the, the under the demand of no one left behind, we want to extend the job seeker and job keeper allowances to recent migrants and overseas workers and international students who missed out, who didn't receive anything at all in the so-called stimulus package. And, and, and then of course, another, there, was, there was the whole arts industry that just missed out because, of course, well, yeah, so we many did, of them weren't there for you know, year-long uh, employment by any given employer. Well, <clears throat> the arts industry, which is an industry I know very well, um, suffered particularly badly because we already had a situation where most artists are employed on a casual basis or a contract basis. Some of them are sole traders, and so some of them got the job keeper, but many, many other people, pay-as-you-go uh, artists, missed out completely. And that sector looks like, although there's been a few crumbs uh, put forward, by various state governments and, and, and one kind of rescue package by the federal government, that industry looks like it isn't going to come back in a hurry. Um, and it was already under siege. And then it's really important, the whole thing about the uh, Living Incomes for Everyone coalition is that what we're really trying to do is bring together social security activists um, you know, I come from Anti-Poverty Network South Australia. We've been long working in this area, uh, bringing together unemployed workers with other people on the various payments and, and allowances. Uh, but we really have always significantly missed this connection with low-income earners who are just above us on the, on the socioeconomic ladder. And so... One of the demands within the No One Left Behind is, of course, the increase to the minimum wage mm. and a significant increase to the minimum wage, which, was, which is woefully, woefully low at, at $740 a week. And we understand that it's very unlikely that the powers that be will keep the unemployment benefits at $550 whilst the minimum wage is so low. So that's a really important part of our platform and, and, and the people that have come to us from the union movement are a very, very important part of the whole thing. Um, also, in, in, under that demand is keep childcare free, but that's already been done away with today. 
So we'll be fighting for the reinstatement of that. And also a mass increase to public and affordable housing because none of what we, we advocate for in relation to people's payments mean anything while the housing crisis is at the level that it is. The every year Anglicare um, does a rental affordability snapshot and this year their snapshot was able to show through data that 1.5% of rentals are affordable even with the doubling of job seeker for people on those payments. So 1.5% of rental uh, properties are available to people receiving $550 a week. So that gives you a kind of idea of what it was like before. Um, is it, do you want to stop and have a chat? Am I going too fast? No, no, that's fine. I, I think it's interesting to, to put this in the context of, of the, the fact that these things were raised initially um, to provide uh, support against a, a lowering economy for, for various reasons. I mean, it was already going downhill before the virus approached. Uh, and now we're talking about, well, how do we get out of uh, you know, the COVID restrictions yeah. and build up the economy? Uh, and it seems that cutting these back to what they used to be isn't going to do much for the economy, is it? Oh, definitely not. In fact, um, the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union, who's one of the members of our coalition, um, has says they have data that shows that it's job seeker that's really keeping the retail industry afloat at the moment because people were so unable to buy basic things that they need um, that that's where, that's where the, the, the shopping is happening at the moment. And it's not for luxuries, of course, not on $550 a week it can possibly be. It's for basic things like laptops for kids, which, by the way, was something that was you know, forced upon people through the um, uh, homeschooling sort of situation and some basic basic stuff like um, clothes and, uh, you know, basic requirements that, that are being, being bought by people that are on the, the, um, the payment at the moment. But that's not, you know, the, the idea that it's, it's going to kind of attack the economy isn't the main thing that we're on about. We're on about people's welfare. Um, but, of course, it's always a, you know, a relatively useful subsidiary argument to say that if they withdraw those payments all at once, like they're threatening to do, yeah, we're heading for depression-level economy. Now, the other thing that you mentioned earlier was the question of affordable housing. Um, obviously, if, if you're worried about a pandemic, you don't want homeless people coughing their way around on the streets. You want people somewhere they can be isolated and safe at home. Now, it's very difficult if they can't afford either renting or buying a house. That's right. Well, the housing crisis was already in play well before the COVID-19 situation. Um, an entire generation of people 
for whom the Australian dream of buying your house with the quarter-acre block was no longer way, way, way out of their reach. At the same time, rents were going through the roof and there's been a little bit of uh, um, reduction in rents in the eastern states in particular where they were just astronomically high. They still are, but marginally less in some neighbourhoods and I'm talking in the very far reaches of Sydney and Melbourne, not anywhere near the city centre, obviously. Um, but housing is a, 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 a fundamental part of all of this and, you know, our perspective is that, of course, one way that you can provide jobs is to have a mass increase to public housing um, and that that would... There's the, the, the latest data on the, the waiting lists are just incredible. In South Australia in particular, 35,000 people on a waiting list and they've been there for years. You know, there's Category 1, Category 2, Category 3, even Category 1, which is considered an emergency situation, people are waiting for up to two years to get a home. People that are in Category 3, uh, which are just people that need a home, uh, are waiting up to 20 years. So that's how ridiculously behind we are in terms of providing for the need. And then that doesn't really cover the need because, or it doesn't reflect the need because there are literally tens and tens of thousands of people who haven't even bothered to go on those housing lists because they know how impossible it is. At the same time, we have uh, multi-storey buildings going up with apartments uh, that remain empty. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm. Who knows what's going to happen with all of that? There are developments going ahead. Well, will they go ahead? Um, it's, it's it's all a bit of a um, a, a bit of a, a a work in progress, especially in in a city where you have all those massive apartment buildings going up that were essentially for international students and international students are no longer or certainly not currently the cash cow that they were for the university so what are they going to do with that accommodation i just think of some good good ways that they could put it to use well there's also those apartments being put up that are really there as much for um um, negative gearing. Um, in yeah. fact, they they make just as they they make plenty of money just by leaving them empty. Yeah, that's right. And we know of many many uh, developments around the place, including near where I live, near Port Adelaide, where there are homes in those new developments that are just lying empty because they 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 return more to the investors that have bought them than if they had people in them. Shall I, shall I tell you what our third demand, demand I think, is? I think it's probably a good time to look at the third demand, yes. Yeah. The third demand is to end harassment in the social security system and to fight for a social security system with dignity. So this includes things that, you know, the income level is one thing and it's hugely important, but in terms of the demographic of people that have been living off these payments for so long. It's things like the mutual obligation system um, in the remote 
Aboriginal communities, the Community Development Program, which is work for the Dole, uh, forced income management that's being trialled and primarily trialled first on Aboriginal communities and then rolled out to everybody else. Um, that includes the cashless welfare card and the basics card. And we have no doubt that in on the government's wish list, they want to roll out income management to all people on social security payments. And there's even been intelligence um, given over by whistleblowers to suggest that the age pension is on that list as well, eventually. They wouldn't do that all at once, but um, that's, their, that's their aim. Um, also, we need to have no return to robo-debts. Robo-debts in particular were something that literally drove people to suicide um, and to all kinds of levels of mental health problems. Uh, we all know what's happened with that. The, the, it was declared unlawful. Lawful. The way that they calculated the robo-debt was unlawful because what they did was they averaged people's income over the year and that's been put paid to, but it's still an open door. The government is still saying they haven't waived those debts. They've just zeroed those debts. So those debts could come back at any time. And another kind of algorithm that they might use to incur those sort of debts it could happen as well. That's another thing that we know is on their wish list. It'll be interesting. The job providers. It'll be interesting to see if the uh, court case for damages... Uh, forces the government to reveal what legal advice they had over the whole robo-debt system because many people suspect yeah. that the legal advice would probably said you can't do this, it's not legal. Mm. Uh, which, which they did anyway. Which, which may well suggest that if that were the case then certain ministers have uh, questions to answer to Parliament. Yeah, so the class action's in process at the moment and everybody that received one of those debts is automatically a part of that class action. Um even if they manage to get damages for all the pain and suffering that those debts um, cause, they can still bring them back in another form. They haven't ruled that out by any means. And I, just... Um, I just want to say that job providers are a huge, huge issue in all of this. They are largely privatised. Many, many of them are for-profit organisations. It's a form of uh, outsourcing the government's responsibilities to people in the social welfare, in the social security system. And they effectively are deployed to harass, penalise and police people that are already in a highly disadvantaged situation. And it's another uh, aspect of things that we hear from our members and supporters and anti-poverty network that is one of the things that makes their lives so, so difficult. And then that leads to the demand that we have for public ownership and control of social security and employment services to bring it back under government control, but also under the people's control.
so that we have much more of a say in running it in a way that actually helps people get jobs that are available um, rather than being there just solely to police them. I have to say, having said that, the situation before COVID-19 was something like, well, some estimations were one to 11, uh, every um, uh, job available had 11 people, uh, job seekers going for it, but more realistic estimations were it was one to 17. And that, at the moment, is just way much more because we've got now doubled the amount of people on JobSeeker, doubled the amount of unemployment. We've got 1.6 million people on JobSeeker. We've got something like 3 million people on JobKeeper, and all of those people will certainly not get their jobs back, despite what the ABC told us tonight in the news, that the economy was bouncing back. Um, We've known for a very long time that the unemployment figures are not a reflection of reality. So as well as the people who are on JobSeeker, the people who will lose their jobs that are currently on JobKeeper, we know that they only count in the unemployment figures people who have had no work whatsoever. So if you've had one hour of employment employment in a fortnight, you're not considered to be unemployed. (laughs) And then at the same time that all of this happened, half a million people left the workforce. That is what is known as the discouraged or the hidden unemployed, people who just have simply given up looking for work. Just just finally, Eileen... um I understand you, you took part in a seminar today with um, ACOS, the Australian Council of Social Services, and you weren't particularly impressed by them. No. Um, I think it's fair to say that at the moment that's still all in play. Um, ACOS is a, an organisation that's the peak body of NGOs and charities and various lobby groups. Um, and... Uh, you know, we at Anti-Poverty Network South Australia has always had reasonably good um, relations with them, um, bearing in mind that our position's always been well in advance of what they what they have come up with. But they have, you know, had a, been running a campaign, the Raise the Rate campaign. But today I have to say I was very disappointed that um, they, they wouldn't... Um, immediately say that they would endorse our, our demands. Partic- well, certainly not the first one, which is keep the rate, because they're at, at play with the politics of the situation, the politics of the possible. They're talking to politicians, and I, my sense is that they don't really think that we can win that um, and that the, there will be some sort of compromise made, but they weren't prepared to say what their position was. They're still in the process of preparing that, and they weren't able to tell us when we would know uh, what their position was. And I say that because, I mean, if we had ACOS on site, it would be a significant uh, boost to the campaign. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to continue to encourage them. <laughs> to uh, move in our direction and to keep what we've got because the alternative is that groups like ACOS or you know the Labour Party 
and so forth would be going to people who have just for a brief moment had their head above poverty and $550 a week is only $10 a week above the Henderson poverty line. So we're not talking about any kind of king's ransom here. And what effectively they may be in the position of doing is to tell people that they have to take a cut in their income. And I, I think that's just completely immoral. Where does the union movement sit on all this? So in our group, um, we have... I, I will just run by you all the different, the range of different groups that we've got involved in our coalition. We've got the anti-poverty networks from South Australia and from Queensland. We've got the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. We've got the National Council of Single Mothers and Their Children. Fair go for pensioners from both Victoria and Queensland, which is a terrific group advocating for pensioners who are one-third of whom live in poverty and not um, self-funded. Um, the Northeast, ah, so we have the Australian Students for uh, in, uh, Students Environmental Network. We've got Young Campaigns, which is an economic social justice group for young people. The First of May movement, the Victorian International Workers of the World, the Wobblies, the Income Management Group, SANO7, Accountable Income Management. We've got the Independent Peaceful Australian Network, the Spirit of Eureka. Newcastle Poverty Action. And then we have a whole pile of largely at the moment regional TLCs. We've got the Northeast Border uh, Trades and Labor Council, the National Regional Trades and Labor Council, the Ballarat Trades and Labor Council. Um, we have Vintage Reds. We've got um, uh, various independent kind of grassroots unionists that are involved. We've got independent researchers and many, many other individuals so far, but that's just the beginning. Like, we really are. This has only happened in three weeks. That's how quickly the sort of material conditions that you live in can push things along and push things forward. But where does the union... So, so we have a lot of grassroots unions involved, but we really would are, are focusing at the moment on keeping that to people that are working at a grassroots area rather than in the executives of trade unions. Although we have a lot of time for the United Workers Union platform, um, which they launched maybe a month ago now, which is by far and away one of the most exciting platforms that any trade union has come up with in a long time. It's not reflective of unions as a service industry, but it's reflective of the unions as a campaigning for working-class people, and their platform's terrific. But as far as the ACTU and further up the, up the scale, that we're not sure of yet. Um, that is the next step where we go to those kind of union executives and get their endorsements whilst we stay staunchly grassroots. All right, two, two questions for you then. Um, first of all, how can people find out more about um, uh, life and its campaign and aims? Have you got a website or a Facebook group yep. or what? Yep. So um, just before I, I came on to talk to you, I was just in the throes of um, 
uh, doing some organising around the communications group. We will have a website. We will have Facebook, social media pages. We don't yet. At the moment, the quickest thing for people in South Australia to do that would want to contact and be a part of this coalition, and we really strongly encourage, we, we, we won't build this movement unless we have a lot of input from a lot of different people. But the best thing to do would be to contact Anti-Poverty Network South Australia. We do have a lot of um, activity on Facebook. You'll find us easy enough on Facebook. We also have a website and our email is coordinator at apnsa.org. And um, I'd say for now, that will be the quickest way in. But I think that all the the life, the, the living incomes for everyone, communications will be up as fast as we can get it there. As I said, it's only three weeks old. Tremendous. We'll put copies of this interview up on our uh, website and we'll uh, let people know uh, when you tell us that uh, your uh, social media bits and pieces are all, all going. In the meantime, we advise people to check out the uh, Anti-Poverty Network South Australia Fabulous. Uh, websites and Facebook pages. Thanks a lot for talking to us. Pleasure. See you all. Bye.